Good morning. What a beautiful Lord's Day. To me, every Lord's Day is beautiful. Like several weeks ago, I was talking to Pastor Nakatra, and I, I asked him, with your know-how in modern technology, could you find out how many churches there are in New York State? Right away, he went to, to task for this old sinner saved by grace, and he came back and says, Paul, he says, I can't find out how many churches there are in New York State, but I can tell you how many are in New York City. I said, how many? Well, he says, 4,000 that are registered, and then there are 2,000 where uh, people meet for worship. That's a lot. Well, what do you think came to my mind? I thought, how many of all these people attending these churches, how many really have spiritual life? I mean, the life of Christ. The Holy Spirit is not bashful about addressing the church in the Old Testament or the church in the New Testament. I want to share some verses with you. In Judges 10, 14, where the church was under the rule of judges, listen to what he said. He said, go cry unto your gods, which you have chosen. Let them deliver you in the time of your tribulation. You know what that says to me? If we don't give Christ the preeminence in our life, then go to that which we give the preeminence instead of going to the Lord for help in time of trouble. To Psalm 78, 35 to 37. And they remembered that God was their rock and their high God, their redeemer. Nevertheless, they did flatter him with their mouth and they lied unto him with their tongue, and their heart was not right with him, nor steadfast in the covenant. And then Proverbs twenty-six twenty-three speaks a lot about professors without possessing. He said, the word says, burning lips. And what that's referring to is, they that speak love and affection, but have a wicked heart, and are like a potsherd covered with silver dross. In other words, the appearance looks nice, but inwards there's deadness. Then Ezekiel 33, 31, the apostle is speaking to Ezekiel. I mean, the Lord is speaking to Ezekiel. Look what he says. And they come unto thee as the people cometh, and they sit before thee as my people And they hear thy words, but they will not do them. Oh, yes, their mouth, they show much love, but their heart goeth after their covetousness. How many do we hear people speak a nice word, but their heart is far from God? Hosea 4.17, one of the minor, the first of the minor prophets. Israel slideth back as a backsliding heifer. Ephraim is joined to idols. Leave him alone. And that's what God is doing to America. Leaving America alone and evil's coming in like a flood. And it's coming into the church too. Matthew 15, 8, 9. 
to the Pharisees, the Lord is speaking. This people draweth nigh unto me with their mouth, and honoreth me with their lips, for their heart is far from me, but in vain do they worship me, teaching for doctrine the commandments of men. Matthew fifteen fourteen. Let them alone. They be blind leaders of the blind. And if the blind lead the blind, they will all fall into the ditch. And how many churches are like that today? 2 Timothy 3, 4 and 5, the Apostle Paul is speaking of the days we're living in. He says, the people are lovers, lovers, lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. And they have a form of godliness but they deny the power thereof. Titus 1.16, they profess that they know God, but in works they deny him being abominable and disobedient and do every good work reprobate. And 2 Timothy 4.10, which the Paul apostle gives as a testimony or as a, a statement about Demas, but I, I have this included because there's so many churches like that. Demas hath forsaken me, having loved this present world, and gone back to Thessalonica, where he first heard the gospel. So many churches have left their first love. So many churches are just existing. All of these described, as I just mentioned, were religious, but they did not have spiritual life, the life of Christ, which is true in many churches I just said, and our message today will be taken from the book of Philippians, the first chapter. The theme of this first chapter is Christ, our life, which is the title of our message. And just a few words in pertaining to the background of this church that prompted the writing of this epistle by the Apostle Paul in the second missionary journey. He was directed by the Holy Spirit not to go to Asia, but to go to the dark, spiritually dark planet, uh, um, continent of Europe. And Philippi was the first stop. Now, the word Philippi, uh, its original name was Quinides, which uh, translated means fountains. Fountains, and you understand why I'm doing this. But it was later changed to Philippi by Philip of Macedon, the father of Alexander the Great. But as someone said, I want to share this with you. Quinides, which I've said it was translated as fountains, Philippi would become the fountain for European Christianity, and the rest is history. When the Apostle Paul penned this epistle, he was in prison about 10 years after the planting of the church. <clears throat> and I found this most interesting, that the name of the Lord is used in singular titles, descriptive titles, and pronouns. How many times do you think the Lord is mentioned in the book of Philippians? Some 70 times. Some 70 times Christ is portrayed as Christ our example. The first chapter, I'm, I'm sorry, 
Christ is portrayed as Christ, our example. In the second chapter, chapter 3, Christ is portrayed as our goal. And the third, cha- fourth chapter, Christ is portrayed as our contentment. The, which will be our message, one more in this month and two in August. The church of Philippi was the only church recorded in Scripture that supported the Apostle Paul in a financial way through all his missionary labors and no doubt in some part was the occasion for this letter. Now I want to read chapter 1, but not the whole chapter. Starting at verse 1. Paul and Timothy, the servants of Jesus Christ, to all the saints in Christ Jesus, which are at Philippi with the bishops and deacons, grace be unto you, and peace from God our Father, and from the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, and always in every prayer of mine, making requests with joy for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. Even as it is meet for me to think this of you all, because I have you in my bonds and in my heart, And in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, you all are partakers of my grace. For God is my witness how greatly I long after you all in the tender mercies of Jesus Christ. And this I pray, that your love may abound yet more and more in knowledge and in all judgment, that ye may approve things that are excellent, that you may be sincere and without offense until the day of Christ being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ unto the glory and praise of God. But I would you should understand, brethren, that the things which happen unto me have fallen out rather unto the furtherance of the gospel, so that my bonds in Christ are manifest in all the palace and in all other places. And many of the brethren in the Lord, waxing confident by my bonds, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ even of envy and strife, and also some of goodwill. The one preach Christ of contention, not sincerely supposing to add affliction to my bonds, but the other of love, knowing that I am set for the defense of the gospel. What then? Notwithstanding every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached, and therein do I rejoice, yea, and I will rejoice. For I know that this shall turn to my salvation through your prayer and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, according to my earnest expectation and my hope that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but that with all boldness, as always, so now also Christ shall be magnified in my body, whether it be by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. And that is my text for this morning's message. Let us pray. Oh, our Father and our God, speak to all of us this morning through thy word, for Jesus' sake and for our good. In his name, amen.
The first thing I'd like to share with you is life without Christ. Life without Christ. Paul never forgot what he was and did to injure the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. In Acts 8.1, it says that he was consenting to the death of Stephen. And that word consenting, sineo dokeo, means to be pleased, to have pleasure, gratify, enjoy the death of Stephen. That's what that word means. And then in the third verse of chapter 8, it says that he made havoc of the church, havoc meaning to soil, to maltreat, hailing uh, men and women means to drag like you would a dead body, to drag away in violence, committing them to prison. In Acts 26, 11, his testimony before King Agrippa in his defense, he said these words, I verily thought and was convinced that I ought to do many things in opposing the name of Jesus of Nazareth. And I did so in Jerusalem. I not only locked up many of the saints in prison after receiving authority from the chief priests, but when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them and I punished them in all the synagogues. And when it says that he cast his vote against them, it means he must have been a member of the Sanhedrin and tried to make them blaspheme, being in a raging fury against them. He says, I persecute them even to foreign cities. In Galatians 1.13, he testified how he persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. And that is what the Taliban is doing in Afghanistan, what Jung, the dictator of North Korea, is doing, deifying himself above God to rid North Korea of Christianity, what Modi, the premier of India, is doing. India determined to make it a solely a Hindu nation. And what jihadist Islam is doing in so many countries to eradicate Christ from their land. The Apostle Paul never forgot what he was before the life of Christ came into his heart after he met the Lord on that road to Damascus. It would good be good for you and I to follow the Apostle Paul's example. Sadly, most professing Christians have forgotten how wicked they were before Christ came into their lives and why I love to go back memory lane and remember the ugliness of my sins before the Lord showed me mercy on October 10, 24, 1966. Do I go back because I love to see how wicked I was? I'd love to go back to see how wicked I was because I see the magnification of the grace of God in this old sinner saved by grace. I was reminded of my past life on July 4th. There's a small park adjacent to my home, and it's where cyclists go or get together on Saturdays and Sundays and holidays and go on a journey that ranges between 50 and 80 miles, and I got to know that because I got acquainted with them. And when they come back, it's party time. Well, that afternoon... I was in my living room working on this sermon, and I began to get irritated by their boisterous laughing and loud talking until I remembered that I, it was, that's where I was at one time, just like them. 
It'd be well for you to remember what you were before Christ showed you mercy. Oh, the older I get, the more I love him. The more I, older I get, the more I want that life of his to be real in me. And that's the problem is so many uh, Christians, they're no different from the world. And that's why we've lost our influence. We need to have them see Christ in us, the hope of glory. Secondly, the life of Christ in us. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. When the life of Christ came into the heart of the Apostle Paul, while he was still Saul of Tarsus, as it says in uh, 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 121, it became, right away, that life became evident right away. Yes, he had to recuperate from the long journey to uh, Damascus. Yes, he uh, was blinded by that light from on high. Yes, uh, he was uh, he, he was weary. Uh, he, he was tired. But after his strength came back, he went everywhere in those synagogues preaching Jesus Christ. And he was there until he had to flee because they wanted to kill him. And he was left down to safety by a basket uh, alongside the wall. What makes the gospel so precious is the love of God. Oh, how precious that is, the love of God in Jesus Christ. How many of you ever heard of Octavius Winslow? He was a a man of God several centuries ago. I want you to hear what he said. He said, justice may have demanded the gospel. He said, wisdom may have planned the gospel. He said, power may have executed the gospel. But love originated the whole and was the moving cause in the heart of God. The love of Christ was so powerful in the heart of Saul of Tarsus, made an apostle by Jesus Christ the Lord, he would say in 2 Corinthians 5.14, The love of Christ constraineth me, because we thus judge that if one died for all, then we're all dead, and that he died for all, that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him Christ, who died for them and rose again to give them his life. 2 Corinthians 12, 15, writing to the church at Corinth, they gave him more trouble than any other church. He said this, I am willing to be spent and be spent for you. And the more abundantly I love you, the less you love me. But that didn't deter the apostle one iota. Excuse me Down through the ages, that life, that precious life, is seen in the Lord's people who have have his spirit. Not to the same degree, of course, as Apostle Paul, but the evidence of Christ in them, the hope of glory must be evident and is evident to those who love the Lord and to those who surrendered their lives to Jesus Christ. When I finished my two years in college and received an associate degree for a pastoral ministry, I was given a whole lot of pulpit, I was given a whole set of pulpit commentary covering all the Old Testament and all the New Testament by one of my professors. 
In the commentary on the book of Philippians, a writer wrote the following, which was such a blessing to my heart, and I want to share it with you. When Christ walked upon the earth for the first time in all human history, the world saw a life among the children of men that was more than an ideal life to admire in the midst of mankind, but the world saw a perfect life lived upon the earth in its entire unselfishness and self-sacrifice, a life of absolute purity and loveliness that transcended anything seen in the lives of other men and a life that stands alone in solitary majesty. A real life that was lived upon the earth, yet he was hated so much that the multitudes cried, crucify him, crucify him. And it was for our sakes that the Lord appointed that motley crowd to cry that out. Because it was only by his crucifixion that he could redeem us from the curse of the law. For it says, cursed is everyone that hangeth upon the tree. That's why he had to be crucified. Because cursed is everyone who breaks God's law. And we're all lawbreakers. But Christ was made sin for us who knew no sin that we might be made the righteousness of God in him because he was made a curse for us to redeem us from all iniquity. Oh, praise his wonderful, wonderful name. Praise him, love him, serve him. Our Lord, down through the centuries, his life is seen in a lesser degree, of course, but it's still his life and all who have been born of his spirit and indwelled by his spirit and walk in his spirit. Galatians 5, 25, 26 says, if we live in the spirit, let us walk in the spirit. Let us not be desirous of vain glory in provoking one another to envying one another. But let us reveal the Lord Jesus. Jesus said in John 14, 9, Because I live, ye shall live also. And then the Apostle Paul, writing Colossians 3, 4, says, Your life is hid with Christ in God. Then when Christ, who is your life, when Christ shall appear, you shall be with him in glory. In Acts 3, 15, Paul, Peter in his second sermon said this, Christ is called the Prince of Life. And why the Apostle John would say in 1 John 5, 11, and 12, and this is the record, that God hath given to us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. He that hath the Son hath life, and he that hath not the Son of God shall not see life. In Psalm 36, 9, Christ is called the fountain of life. And for Christ said to the Samaritan woman, Whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst. But the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water, springing up into everlasting life. It is a purpose from which he came to earth. <clears throat> for Christ said in John 10, 10, I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. And the only way to receive his life is expressed in John 10, 9 when he says... I am the door. If any man enter therein, he shall be saved and shall go in and out and feed upon heavenly pasture. 
And then in Matthew 7, 13, 14, he says, Enter in at the straight gate, for broad is the way, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leads to destruction, and many there be that walk therein. But enter the straight gate. He is the gatekeeper of the straight gate. Only by him. He said, yes, the road is narrow if you come in through me, but it leads to life and few there be that find it. Dear ones, that everyone who calls Jesus Lord is Lord unless they walk the narrow way. And the only way to have life is to come to the Lord, not the world's way, but Jesus' way. And I can't encourage you enough. The only way to come to him is to lay down the weapons of your warfare and surrender to him and depend on his atoning sacrifice on the cross for your sins to be forgiven, to become a child of God. What else did the apostle Paul mean when he said, for me to live is Christ? Well, one thing he said is his personal testimony. And it was repeated earlier, but let me repeat it again. He said, I am Galatians 2.20. I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life that I now live, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. His love for us was not a mass of people, not a mass of believers, but individual. He loved each one of us individually. And so in a Psalm in Philippians 127, he said, <clears throat> Let your manner of life be as it become of the gospel of Christ, that whether I come to you or else be absent, I may hear of your affairs, that you stand fast in one spirit with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. Paul writing to Titus, where there was a lot of problems there in the church in Crete, he said these words. For the grace of God that bringeth salvation appeared to all men, teaching us to deny ungodliness and worldliness, but to live soberly and righteously and godly in this present world. And to the church of Philippi, he says these words. Wherefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed in my presence, much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who worketh in you, both to will and to do according to his good pleasure. Romans 8, 6, writing to the church of Rome, he, wrote, he said this, to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace in the Holy Spirit. The only way to live and have victory over this world, to live, uh, to, to say, if you can say, for me to live is Christ, then the only way to live is to be spiritually minded. John and uh, Philippians three seventeen he says uh, listen to these words, now, uh, uh, it's amazing. Christ, uh, uh, Paul says, follow me and mark them who walk, even as you have me for an example. Boy, no one who followed the apostle Paul would ever be carnally minded, but be spiritually minded. And the church needs to have those who would be spiritually minded, that we be examples of one another filled with the Spirit of God and our lives directed by the Spirit of God. And then in Acts 20, 24, we have to have, to live as Christ is to have an attitude about life. What's our attitude about life? 
when he was in Ephesus on his last missionary journey to the elders in Ephesus, he said this. When he learned about that they wanted, what they wanted to do to him in Jerusalem, he said, none of these things move me. Neither count I my life dear unto myself, but that I might finish my course with joy and the testimony and the ministry that the Lord has given to me that I might testify of the gospel of the grace of God. And then to the church of, of, of Philippi, he, he said this. Uh, uh, there was an, uh, one of their own was an example. Listen to this. In 2.30, he, he wrote this. Because for the work of Christ, this is Epaphroditus. Epaphroditus was sent with a, an offering to the apostle, but it wasn't enough. And so the, the, the apostle, I mean, Epaphroditus had to uh, work there, uh, I guess, in, in deplorable conditions to earn enough to keep Paul alive. And so he says this, because for the work of Christ, he was nigh unto death, not regarding his life to supply your lack of service toward me. And when you feel that way about life, you're really free. I mean, really free. And that's what Epaphroditus was. And if we're going to say, uh, for me to live as Christ, that's the way we have to think about this life. Or we don't can say we have a living hope in our living Savior. Titus 1.13. Uh, he says, um, no, in Acts 22.15, if, if we're going to say that Christ, to live as Christ, then we have to be bold to witness for him. Witness for life and sharing the gospel. Um, and... <laughs> Yesterday, uh, when we share the gospel, how do we share it? Do we share it with a stern face? Or is there joy in our countenance that we have something that is good for them? Yesterday, a Jehovah Witness came to the door. And right away, uh, I know what goes on in my mind. I know what I'm about. And I try to be decent. But you know why I'm referring to this? They know I wasn't going to respond to them because they remembered they stopped once before. They remembered what I said to them. But they were so nice and kind. I thought, how do we see people that are dead in trespass and sins? Do we show kindness? Do we show that we care about them? I mean, do we show them more than we're just somebody uh, to get to think like we do? I think we need to share the love of Christ in our countenance more. That when we, If we want to share the gospel, uh, here's what I found. The more I have an expression of love and joy in my accounts, hardly anyone refuses. It just happened this morning. And I, I, I can't encourage you enough that if we have a living hope in our living Savior, let us, when we meet people, to share the gospel, share it with a loving spirit. I mean, can you imagine those who are supporting a dead gospel, a wicked gospel, showing what we should show? Titus 1.13, he heard about a lot of what's going on at Crete and about the, they were ugly in their deeds. And what he, this is what he wrote to them. He wrote in uh, Titus 1.13, he says, when he found out what the charges were against the churches in Crete, he said, this witness is true. Wherefore, rebuke them sharply that they may be saved in the faith. Saved in the faith, and to the church of Philippi, be sound in the faith, be work in the faith, have joy in the faith, 
Let our faith so shine before men that they may see our good works and glorify our Father which is in heaven. And then Colossians 3.17. And whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by him. That is our purpose for life. And listen to these words in 1.10 and 11 I shared before with you. That ye may approve things that are excellent, that ye may be sincere without offense until the day of Christ, being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ unto the praise and glory of God. That's our purpose for life, for being here. Now, adversaries to the Christ life. Paul, the Apostle Paul, before he wrote to the church of Philippi, had written to the church at Corinth. And let me read verse 20. Listen to what he said in verse 20. According to my earnest expectation and my hope that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but with all boldness as always, so now also Christ shall be magnified in my body, whether it by life or by death. Yes, there's adversaries to the Christian life, and let me share with you some of these, what, uh, uh, the, the, uh, what the Apostle Paul experienced in Second uh, Corinthians chapter 12. Strike some of measure. Five times... Uh, uh, he received stripes, 39 stripes he received from the Jews that hated him five times, three times beaten with rods, four times uh, stoned, one time stoned to death, three times shipwrecked, one time in the deep for a whole day and a whole night, hunger, thirsting, fasting, abundant labors, pearls and Jews, pearls for the robbers, pearls and heathen, pearls for the countrymen. And the care of all the churches. What a wonderful apostle, what God did to him. The more, dear ones, the more I let Christ have control of my life, the more he does some wonderful things. This is the best time of my life. I'm not saying this to impress you. I'm saying this to encourage you, that when you give your life completely to Christ, then the Christ's life in you cannot be hidden. It cannot be hidden. And once the Christ life in us is shared, we'll be done with those little grievous annoyances that we argue about. We're more interested in Christ, like uh, our brother Anthony uh, a couple of weeks ago, uh, to, uh, the things that really count. Not to this, not disunity, not bickering about this little thing or that little thing, but let's be alive for Jesus Christ. To Timothy, before his death, he says about his sufferings, he said, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, for I know whom I, no, he said, I'm not ashamed of my sufferings, for I know whom I have believed, and that he is able to keep that which I've committed to him against that day. Hallelujah, it is so. He's kept me so many years, I have no excuse. What drove the Apostle Paul? What drove him? Because for me to live as Christ. What drove him to face all these adversaries? Because he had the life of Christ in him full measure. That's why he was so bold for Jesus. 
And the more Christ has his life in you, the more you're going to represent him. And the more the, the Christian life is going to be a joy instead of a drudgery. There were adversaries to the church of, uh, 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 like in chapter 3, verse 1 to 3. He said, beware of dogs, those who mutilate the gospel. Uh, beware of, uh, of evil, those who falsify the gospel. And then he said, beware of the concision, those who want to add to the gospel. Beware of them. And then... And, then verses 17, 19, chapter 3, he says this. He said, mark them who walk, even as you have us, for example, for there are many who are the enemies of the cross of Christ, whose God is their belly, whose glory is their shame, who mind earthly things. They had that in the church of Philippi, just as in many churches today. They're adversaries. And then note, and then, then in chapter 4, 1 to 3, note to the discord that was being sown by two women there. He said, get them to be the same mind in Christ and put away their petty grievances. And then chapter 4, his counsel to the church, he said these words. And in nothing terrified by your adversaries, which to them is an evident token of perdition but to you of salvation and that from God. For unto you it's been given, not only to believe on the Lord Jesus, but also to suffer for him, having the same conflict which you saw in me and now here to be in me. When he planted the church and now while he was in prison. Adversaries to the church in our day, it's coming uh, into our country, but I'd like to, uh, I'd like to focus on the on the churches in other lands. On Thursday, June the 29th, I was on a hookup line with Voice of Martyrs. And President Cole, who was president of that ministry, uh, uh, just came back from the Democratic Congo, uh, Republic of the Congo and the uh, Central African Republic. And he began to share what these dear people suffer for the gospel's sake. <laughs> He spoke about all these grandmothers. Some have lost nine. Some have lost 15 in their family. And, and he said this. He said the gospel is real to them. They have little. There's nothing to turn them away. And eternal glory is real to them. But here we have so much to turn us away. All the things that pertain to the flesh. And we allow that to have control of our lives. Instead of the Lord of glory. Whether they know or not, they're blessed because they'll not let the things of this world turn them aside, but only the Lord Jesus. Their hearts are fixed upon the Lord Jesus. And let me give you an example. I just got the uh, voice of martyr this week. Um, uh, let me give you an example of the story by the name of um, Sarah Pam. The Fulanis killed her husband, and then sometime later they killed her son, and she has forgiven those who killed her husband and her son, and she now makes a living raising up food for a family on a borrowed land. In other words, she farms it. This mother farms the land, supports her. But besides that, she leads a women's study at her church. She encourages the women to put their faith in God and her testimony. God has been faithful to me. God has been faithful to me. Through all that suffering, God has been faithful to me. 
Thousands of women in Nigeria have lost their husbands. And as I remember, I said before, I want to say it again. The gospel is real to them. Eternal glory is real to them. Is it real to you? Christ, our life, takes away the sting of death. He said, to die is gain. For me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Twice at the age of seven, I encountered death. In those years when I lived on the family farm in Lancaster, Pennsylvania, one was my oldest brother when he drowned at the age of 13, when part of a class picnic at Longs Park. And later that same year, my first cousin, about the age of my brother, was gored by a bull on his family farm. I still have a vivid picture a vivid picture of them, both as they lay in their caskets. <clears throat> uh, the aged pastor I served under for some years <clears throat> after the Lord saved me, he said he saw nothing pleasant in death. He said, what would used to try him when he heard people say as a body lay in the casket, what well, used to really get, uh, get on, he said, he said, oh, how nice she looks. Oh, how nice he looks. Well, what they're looking at is nothing but a dead shell that the, body lived, that the soul lived in for all those years. And that's the reason Daisy and I both said, when, well, it was true with Daisy, it'll be true with me. There'll be a closed casket. We look upon the living Lord, not upon the dead carcass that we lived in for all those years. See, God created man in his own image, and after his likeness, he created the crown of his creation to live. But sin came, and that came death. And that changed all that, expressed so well in Romans 5, 12. For by one man sin came into the world, and death by sin. And so death passed upon all men, for all have sinned. But hallelujah, we have life in Jesus Christ. That is what makes the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ so precious. Those who embrace the gospel of Christ in true repentance with godly sorrow, as it says in 2 Corinthians 7, 10, and lay hold by faith of Christ's atoning sacrifice from sin. Lay hold of the Christ's life. And why the Lord spoke the words found in John eleven twenty five and 26. When, uh, 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 when the Lord said to Martha, your brother shall uh, uh, rise, uh, shall live again. And Martha said, yes, I know that. He'll, uh, he'll, he'll rise again at the last resurrection. And Jesus said, Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. I am the resurrection and the life. And we can understand why the Apostle Paul said to die is gain, for he had the same confidence that Peter had in 1 Peter 1, 3-5, when he said, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto living hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible, undefiled, that faith not away, reserved in heaven for you, who are kept by the power of God through faith until the last day. And his own testimony, 2 Corinthians 5, 1 to 4, for we know that if our earthly house is dissolved, we have a building of God, a house 
not made with hands eternal in the heavens. For in this we groan, earnestly desiring to be clothed upon with our house which is from heaven. If so, being clothed, we shall not be found naked. For we that are in this tabernacle do groan, being burdened, not for that which would be unclothed, but clothed upon that majesty, that mortality might be swallowed up in life, the Christ life. My time is up, and I have so much more to share. But uh, I just want to say a few things. Uh, I have to, give me a few minutes. You don't know this man, but he's the founder of Chapel Library. And I got to know him, but I began to distribute gospel literature. And about a month before he died, I was in a conversation with him. And this is what he said. He had he was in the hospital 23 times 21 operations and he wrote that before he died he wrote this booklet Home Going listen to what he said my home going I want to speak to you for a little while this morning on a subject that is near and dear to my heart and that is my home going as a child of God death holds no dread nor fear for me for death to me is only the gate that leads into my heavenly father's house and who dreads or fears going home. That's what it is to go home. I can say, I did the psalmist, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. I can say with the apostle Paul, Philippians 1.21, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Again in Revelation, I hear these words, blessed are the dead which die in the Lord. And then blessed and holy is he that hath part in the first resurrection. Once such the second death has no power. And when he said for me to live is Christ, he didn't say, I want to go to heaven to God's gain. He didn't want to go to heaven because he was tired of this wicked world. It was more wicked than days of the Apostle Paul. He wanted to go to heaven so he could have the fullness of the Christ life in him completely. It was Christ that why he wanted to go to heaven. Because that's what makes heaven so wonderful. Christ in us, the hope of glory, then will be like him and with him. For it says in 1 John 3, 2, it says, no, I don't know what lies there. He said, it's... How wonderful it is that we should be called the children of God and doth not yet appear what we shall be. But we know that when he shall appear, we shall be with him, for we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And everyone that hath his hope purifies himself, even as he is pure. But I have, to, I, have to, I have to give something in application, so please just bear with me. This. I want to ask you a question. Do you have, do you love the Lord Jesus Christ? You would all probably say yes. Then we need to ask a few follow-up questions. Does Christ have the preeminence of your life? As the Apostle Paul wrote in Colossians 1.18. I want to ask yourself, does he have the preeminence in your life in everything? Do you give the Lord lip service like the Pharisees did or service from the heart? Who or what governs your life from day to day? Is Christ truly the Lord of your life by whom your life is governed or do circumstances govern or do situation ethics 
do they govern? Where does Christ fit in as life's necessities unfold that are part of every family's experience? Buying a home, schooling for children, family worship, vacations, work, and so forth. Does the Lord have the preeminence of your lives on the Lord's day? Does the Lord have the preeminence of your lives on the Lord's day? Answer that to yourself. The Lord's day is a day that he conquered death. And because he lives, we have life in him. For me to live as Christ, because his life lives in me. His day indeed is a day of worship. The days we live in are only going and going and going to get darker and darker. Its effect upon us will either let the life of Christ in us shine brighter and brighter. We can say, let your good works shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Or they'll see us just as part of the world. They'll either see that or they'll see the darkness of this culture and its enticing effect will dim the life of Christ in us more and more. Let our text this morning be real. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. The Lord's return is near. It says in 1 John 2, 28, let your life so abide in Christ that when he does come again, you shall not be ashamed. We all have a divine appointment which we cannot escape. Keep the focus of your heart upon him. And when we do, we will know the joy of his eternal presence. And when you know the joy of his presence, nothing else matters. Our Father and our God, may your word not return void, but change your heart for Jesus' sake. Amen.